We are two women, both cancer thrivers, in the battle of and for our lives. Initially meeting because we were bald, we started sharing our stories and cheering on each other's journey. This is a safe space in hopes to help others in their own journey to learn and know they aren't alone in the experiences. Though this podcast is not rated explicit, this episode may not be suitable for young listeners as we do talk about some saucy, a little risque topics. Taryn! Hi! Hi, how's it going? Fabulous. How are you? I'm good. I had infusion today, so my port is covered. (laughs) My gosh, I cannot wait till I can get my port out like oh yeah me too I no one has ever that. given me that option no they haven't either but I really just can't wait to ask and say can you just I, I might just ask <laughs> let's just, let's just ask seriously oh Taryn you're amazing thank you so much for joining us today oh yeah of course I'm glad you like messaged me when you did because I'm leaving for Maui soon so I was like oh this is perfect yeah I'll do it tonight hey tell me all about this rough life oh my goodness but you live right yeah you're on the west coast so it's yeah this is like a this was a random like 150 dollar flight like very short you know for us we're like to us we're like oh we're barely going on vacation (laughs) you know oh man i'm leaving going one beach to another beach sounds oh where are you going no you Oh, like oh me yeah (laughs) yeah oh i don't know if you live but in my head you do so sure yeah totally (laughs) so taryn let me introduce taryn I initially met her. We are in the we have the same cancer. So we have small cell neuroendocrine started in the cervix. So we're in the same Facebook group mm-hmm. online. Sorry, I, I don't want yeah. to end that sentence. Hello. <laughs> I will say I've been taking those brain pills, Brooke, and my brain is getting better. Is it like twenty percent? I started taking the mush. I started taking the mushroom vitamins. Uh huh. Um, because I don't eat mushrooms, and so after our podcast, I was like, okay, Jesse's talking about these mushroom supplements. I need to start taking them. So I've been adding that. Good work on you, lady. Well, Taryn has been such an advocate to me. So when I when the cancer came back in December and I was like, Oh my gosh, what do I do? What do I do? And somebody had presented going on this plant-based diet. I'd put out there on this Facebook group, help me. I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) is probably the nice way of saying it. And (laughs) Taryn was one of the ones that reached out and was like, I'm plant-based and it works for me. And this is what I do. And so I'm really excited to a meet you face to face because we have communicated (laughs) social media. You feel like, you know, people, but we really know people. Right. And so anyways, she was such an advocate and and a good support that way in trying to help navigate and saying like, you know, maybe you should consider this or look at these kind of supplements or this type of food. Um, Mm -hmm. And so she has a social media Instagram that she does and it's called the anti-cancer life. 
So Taryn, if you don't mind, <laughs> tell us about you and tell us about the anti-cancer life and what that really sure. is. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for that wonderful introduction. And it's so great to like put a face to a name because I think especially in the cancer world, like we meet so many people online because for a lot of times, like we can't go out in public, <laughs> you know, or we're, I'm still immunocompromised and neutropenic. So it's hard for me to like be in spaces with people. Um, but so basically, yeah, we have the same cancer, high grade, small cell neuroendocrine. And uh, when I was going through my cancer journey, I guess, as I like to call it, um, I felt like my entire like world, both like crushed and then opened up at the same time because it was devastating to get a cancer diagnosis. And then I felt like this entire world was open to me of um, alternative medicine. I did standard of therapy, but then also this other side of cancer treatment, which is like diet and exercise and supplements and high dose IVC, which is the infusion I get and mistletoe and all these things. And it, but it took so much research, like navigating all of these things. And when you get a cancer diagnosis, you get a million people reaching out to you being like, you should try this. You should try this. You should try this. This worked for my uncle. This worked for my aunt, This, you know, and you're like, mm -hmm. I have a very specific cancer. Uh, you don't know what drugs I'm on. You don't know what treatment I've already done. Like, thank you so much for your input, but you don't know my case. <laughs> and so I wanted to, my goal was to create a platform for cancer patients where I just kind of take the heaps of research I did and like translated it for the lay public and then put it out there so that people just know what their options are. It's not that every single one of those things um, might help somebody in their cancer, um, but maybe like one of the 10 things might. And so I just wanted a kind of like distilled version of some of this research that was easy to digest. And so I started the Instagram, the anti-cancer life, and I started the TikTok at the anti-cancer life as well which we have a lot more people on TikTok, but it's a much rougher platform. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Making all those videos all the time. I can't even wrap my head around it. Yeah. Yeah. That's where this ring light comes from. <laughs> oh, I love TikTok. it. Well, you look fabulous. I just thought you were glowing. No, it's just the lighting. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Well, tell me about this infusion that you're getting. That really sparks interest to me. Can we? Yeah. So, yeah, of course. So, um, I mean, as you know, from having this cancer, I think, um, women who are diagnosed with high grade, small cell neuroendocrine, and I try to say the full name cause it's a really rare cancer. Um, there's not like a cure out there. Um, and it's a, like, it's a really, uh, rough road. And so after I finished, um, I did the surgery radical hysterectomy followed by, uh, the like six months of chemo, whatever it was, cisplatinotoposide with concurrent radiation, like six weeks of radiation, and then three sessions of brachytherapy. And by the end, you just feel like you've been like hit by a bulldozer. Um, and my bone marrow never recovered. I'm still heavily neutropenic. Um, and so I started doing high dose IV vitamin C infusions. I'm a really big advocate of vitamin C. I run a website called www.highdoseivc.com. There's a lot of research behind it for uh, preventing recurrence and killing cancer cells. Um, you know, it doesn't work in every cancer and uh, we need, you know, we have stage one and stage two clinical trials and we desperately need stage three clinical trials. Um, but I have been doing it for two years now, uh, straight. So twice a week, it's three hours each infusion. So it's six hours a week. It's kind of a big commitment. It's really tough to find. You have to find an integrative doctor who will work with you. 
it's even tougher to find an insurance that will cover it. Um, luckily I got both of those things. So I'm very privileged in that sense. Um, and I've been doing it consistently. And so far I will be three years cancer-free in October. Wow. Yeah. Um, which that's, is a, that's cra- amazing. crazy, scary milestone. Yeah. I'm like inching toward five, like one step at a time, you know? That's absolutely amazing. I'm just sitting here in awe. Like I like, want to be in those shoes like yes yeah what does your daily routine look like because I know you post quite often this is what I ate for lunch this is what I ate for dinner I mean this is much like how we all become almost like a slave it feels like to these routines of going to chemo going to the doctor's appointments going you know and you're going six hours a week to these infusions like yeah. Explain to us a day in Taryn's shoes. Yeah. And it, it was really intense for a while. I mean, obviously if you're in treatment, it's even more intense. Right. And so I feel very lucky that I'm not in active treatment anymore. Um, because that routine was just like, you're, you're like you said, a slave to going to chemo and radiation and all that kind of stuff. My day now, like post-treatment, um, is a lot of food prep. (laughs) It's a lot of like, how am I going to get food? Where am I going to get that food? And how am I going to make that food? And I think that's one thing that makes it so tough is that like people don't have a lot of time to do that. And it is a lot of work to try to be prepping those meals all the time. And I remember like when I was going through radiation, like I I was walking like bent over because I just couldn't like pick the other half of my body up. And I'm like crawling around the kitchen, like trying to chop a cucumber. And I'm like, this is the worst, you know? And um, so luckily it's not that bad now. Uh, But yeah, it's a lot of meal prep. Uh, I also take really, really long walks. So especially like post-treatment, my oncologist, I was trying to run through treatment and like really work out my, and I, um, from the chemo, I got tachycardia. So my oncologist was like, please just walk. Walking is the best exercise you can do. So I take, I walk anywhere from like two to four miles a day. So I'll just go off and walk for like an hour. I try to do some strength training um, because we lucky ladies get to be in menopause (laughs) early on, no more ovaries, um, trying to battle the menopause muscle loss. Um, and then, uh, I work on my Instagram. I'm also a screenwriter. So, um, I actually work at universal. Um, and so I'm also trying to fit in like writing the films and the deadlines that I have to meet for that. Uh, and take, and then I think the other thing is it's the doctor's appointments and the supplements. It's like, you know, sometimes I get so sick of taking like 30 pills a day. Like I just, am like, I can't do it anymore. And, um, I, I like, sometimes I'll go really lean on my supplements cause I get tired of just the time and energy it takes. And, um, and then also the doctor's appointments, um, you know, Jesse, you probably know this, like I, I was getting scanned every 90 days with our type of cancer. So it's like a PET CT every three months. Um, it's blood draws like once a month because I'm neutropenic. I get circulating tumor cell tests as well. It's like the yearly brain MRI. It's the every three month pap smears. <laughs> so it's like, it just feels, and then, and I have three oncologists at UCLA. So it's like staggering with them. So it got to the point where I'm just like, I'm in the doctor's office all the time. I was doing acupuncture twice a week. 
Um, and I was like, something has to give, like, I can't, you know, just be at the doctors all the time. So luckily now I only get scanned every seven months. Um, but that's pretty much what my day is. It's just like taking supplements, eating food, going to the doctor and trying to squeeze in some writing as my job. And I only recently went back to work. I took two years off because of the cancer and, um, just how much it kind of invades your life. Absolutely. Now, when you got diagnosed, I remember reading, or should I say kind of stalking maybe, (laughs) but you had recently got married. Yeah. Yeah. So let's drop a bomb on the (laughs) blissfulness that you're going through. And how does that look for your relationship? Because like, I, I mean, I've been married, I guess, 16 years now. So we've had this establishment and going from, can we even go into the intimate part of it? Because yes, <laughs> please. I mean, Brooke and I, we discuss this all the time. Like mm-hmm. we can no longer have intercourse. Yeah. And so yeah. How does that thank look? you for saying that. <laughs> like, but seriously, but how does that look in this relationship? Cause you have a brand new husband like at least I've had 15 years with my husband before I was diagnosed like yeah how does that work and how does that cultivate in your relationship yeah I mean thank you first of all so much for asking that question because I feel like doctors don't even want to talk about the sex thing and it just kills me because (laughs) I used to be I used to be a sex writer so like back in my early journalism days like that's what I was doing so I'm fine going into a doctor's office being like listen here's what's going on with my sex life and they're like oh that that'll clear up and you're like no, it's not. You took all my yeah. organs. I don't have any estrogen. What are you talking about? It's going to clear up. Like what? Um, it's very frustrating. And uh, yeah, I got married in 2017. My husband is five years younger than me. So when I got diagnosed in 2019, we'd only been married for two years and he was still in his 20s. So I mean, this poor man is <laughs> in his 20s and like suddenly t- sex was just like ripped away because going through treatment, um, I think I remember trying for the first time, like, cause after the surgery, you're like, you're no one's going anywhere near there. Like, it's just not even on the table. And then I think it was in the middle of like chemotherapy or something. I was like, let's try something like, let's go. And, uh, it was a complete failure. Like I almost went in, I think naive because no one really prepared me for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one talks about it. No one talks about like, what's going to no. happen to your reproductive parts that, When they take your ovaries, like you lose all of your estrogen, that with the type of radical hysterectomy, like the surgeries we have with our type of cancer, you're losing like your cervix and like half of your vaginal canal. And that none of those things are going to really work afterwards. And that the radiation is going to come in and like destroy all that tissue, all that pelvic radiation. So um, we tried, it was a complete failure. I cried. I was devastated. Um, And it was like a huge source of depression. And I would say it's still the thing I'm most angry about. Like, and I say that from a place of privilege, obviously, because I've not had recurrence yet. So clearly like just being alive, like, right. Like grateful to be alive, but I'm very angry about uh, not being able to have sex. And uh, I will say that my husband and I, uh, we made it like a priority. We, we worked on it a lot. I've tried so many different things. I think I found a combination now where we are able to have 
intercourse. Um, it's like a modified version <laughs> where it's sort of like it goes in and then uh, you can't do a lot of thrusting, but you can like, you know, it it is like simulating sex in a way, but it pro and to the point where we can, I mean, not to get graphic, but it's like, you know, That's we're, going, we're raw and we're yeah, okay. That's what this is about. Like, yeah, we'll give, we'll give them a warning at the beginning. Yeah. But <laughs> that's what we need to know. Like nobody yeah. talks about this. Nobody. And talks so about it. absolutely. I, Brooke, you're, you're cool with it. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I went into the doctor's appointments and I kept saying like, I don't want, to, like we were newly married, had only been married three, four years at this point. And like I said, with, with all that little book they give you about all these old side effects, they don't speak on the sex they don't speak no. on the intimacy and I kept going in there and saying like okay I'm I can't have intercourse with my husband I'm crying you know he's being a great man and standing mm -hmm. by my side because the nurses were always like so many women get divorced and I can see why I mean I don't know how many times I told my husband like I can understand if you go and you want to be with somebody else who can meet your needs because yeah. I understand that I can't and yeah. it, it's one of those things where it does, it creates so much depression, but you go in there and I tell these doctors and nurses, like, I don't want to be divorced. So like, I need to find something and I need somebody to help me. And it took a year and a half of me saying this every three weeks and those yeah. doctors just brushing it off to have this lady give me a sex therapist. She's an intimate therapist and she helps. Uh, she worked at a cancer treatment centers of America here whatever that hospital used to be called. And she did it for 30 years. She worked with every type of cancer patient and that's what she worked on keeping their marriages solid, the intimacy level, even if they couldn't have intercourse in that manner, she helps on so many different levels. And that was like the saving grace for me, you know, to have, to have that because it, it does people just disregard it and it's such a huge factor and it's not even that the men need it the women need the intimacy too yes yes and it's, it's part of the and it's so disregarded yeah and I think those intimacy coordinators or like pelvic floor therapists sex therapists it should be standard with everyone that's going through this like it should be one of the appointments that's made for you so that almost like you don't even have to ask for it because it it was such a problem. I had the same conversations with my husband. I was like, I, I totally get it. If you like want to go have sex with somebody else. And these are like dark, morbid conversations. Like you're already having conversations about what if I die? And then you're having to have these conversations also about like, what, what if we can never have sex again? Because it's not just like the physical parts don't work. There's also this mental component of like my sex drive went from like normal to like nothing. Like, like there are times where I just feel nothing, like I can't get revved up. And I think that's a huge part of it. Um, just for people listening, like the things that worked for us is one, I mean, I'm in California, first of all, so weed is legal here. Um, so, you know, getting high is very helpful. It like dulls the pain um, and it gets you in like a mental space where it sort of turns you on. Um Likewise, I make my own lube because I got really terrified of lube with things in it, uh, especially after having cancer. And I think lube is like the biggest component because as we don't make estrogen, uh, we're not like secreting any kind of 
lubrication, which makes sex very painful and dry and tough and the tissue is very brittle. Um, so I make my own lube with coconut oil and CBD isolate. So I'm kind of putting CBD inside of lubricant. Um, and now being in California, all of the weed shops actually have like coconut oil lubes pre-made and pre-dosed with CBD and THC. And so that's like wow. a, an, an extra thing to help those nerve endings. Um, and so it's like, but it beca sex becomes a production. And then the third element that you need is a vibrator. <laughs> Um, because the vibration um, not only just like stimulates you and gets you to that like energy level you need to be at, but it also dulls the pain. So it allows my pain tolerance to grow while we're having sex. So, um, you know, with those three things, it's like a jar of coconut oil with THC or CBD in it, or just like regular coconut oil, and then the vibrator, and then also like 30 minutes to like pop a gummy and have sex. But that also means that like sex is now very planned for us. It's like, we it's Saturday night, and we know like, okay, I'm gonna take a gummy at 10. And we're gonna have sex at 1030. You know, and so they're like, the spontaneity is sometimes left out, which is, um, which is, again, like, it's very depressing. Like my husband and I were the type of people that like, we did it in a Disneyland parking lot, like we were like, very in love. And like, you know, we were like, super spontaneous sex havers. And, um, and so it is, it is rough to go through that. And, and it feels like no one's listening and no one's helping. And frankly, that no one cares. Like doctors look at you, like you're alive. What do you, what do you want? Absolutely. The quality of life. Where, where's our right. quality of life is a huge player in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like and, you said, you don't want, you know, to get divorced or you don't want to lose your spouse. Yeah. And that's why I have to say that even though, so I'm kind of in this limbo where I know the reoccurrence rate of my cancer is pretty high. Um, just based on the fact that I'm younger and most women that have mine or have already hit menopause and it's hormone based. But honestly, I've, I've talked to my husband, I've talked to my family and I've decided that I'm not going to do the medications that they want me to do to put me in menopause for the next 10 years, because it's kind of like you said, Jesse, the quality of life, I would rather have that intimacy with my husband and almost risk it coming back because I guess for me, having that connection and that intimacy in my marriage and all of that is worth more to me than maybe being, I don't know. It sounds really bad to say like being alive, but like, it's that risk that I'm willing to take. I, the way I felt when I was on all those medications that just shut down everything and, and the suicide thoughts and everything that went into it, I was like, I just can't do this. And so I made a decision with my husband that I wasn't going to take all these medicines and I have to go back to my oncologist in like a couple months. And he wants to talk to me about getting back on them. And I'm going to have to tell him again, like, I'm sorry, you know, but I'm going to continue to do plant-based and I'm going to continue to do things like that and just hope, you know, that it works in my favor. But if it doesn't, it's just something that I have to understand the risk that I'm putting myself in. And people are like, oh, well, you know, you're doing that just for sex. And it's like, no, I'm not. There's just a level of 
like you said, you guys were very spontaneous and you were very much in love. And that's how my husband and I were. And now it's very much planned out still to this day. We have to plan it out because of the pain. And I haven't been on any hormone blockers and menopause stuff since May. This is mother's day when I had the breakdown and said, okay, I'm not, I, I can't do it anymore. But the lasting side effects of all of that has continued on to still be there, even though I'm not on the medication. So it's, it's just like you said, it should be a staple in an everyday appointment that you go in and you have that therapist there or the intimacy therapist, somebody to help you navigate it. Cause the doctors, frankly, just, I don't know. They just don't, help. they don't help. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's hard for people who aren't in that position to understand why you would make that decision because they haven't suffered from a poor quality of life to the same degree that a cancer patient has, you know, and that it is so important to enjoy the life that you have. Um, I too would have dark thoughts during cancer treatment. Um, I would tell my husband, I was like, I, I was like, I get it. I get why people sometimes say, I don't want to do treatment anymore because it's like, you just, you don't want to, you know, and you haven't had, uh, from what I understand, you haven't had recurrence yet or. No, I just finished my last chemo treatment, um, three weeks ago. Oh so my God, I've been on it for a year and a half. So, wow, wow. you know, I don't know, I don't know what the future holds, but I said, I would rather have five years of quality yeah, than 15 years of misery, you know? Yeah. And you got to go with so, your gut, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, I feel like it's my life. And after being through everything we've been through, I feel like we're the ones that can say what we want to have happen yeah. in our future. Yeah. And like, I don't know what your recurrence rate is, but, um, you know, there's no, like, as my oncologist told me this one thing, cause our recurrence rate was quite high for ours. It was like, it's like 90% or something. Um, but she like sat me down and she was like, you know, it's the cure rate is not zero. She's like, there are people walking around who don't have this cancer anymore. They had it and now they don't. So you can always be that person. And I think you just have to follow like what you want to do because it, it's your life, you know. Now, what I understand about you, Taryn, is you've been such an advocate for yourself as you've gone to the oncologist, as you present these different uh, like the one was the blood draw. And even though it's not necessarily uh, FDA approved or whatever, approved for our cancer, because I even presented it up to my oncologist and he's like, I've never heard of this and this is not for you. <laughs> I was like, oh, but Taryn did it. Like, <laughs> so how are you advocating for yourself or, and following your gut as you've gone yeah. through treatment plans and your post-treatment plans? Yeah, I think um, when you get cancer, one thing you learn really quickly is that you kind of get shoved onto like what I call the cancer conveyor belt, which is like, they put you on it. And then they're like, here's your treatment. Like, see you later. <laughs> and you're, and I think like with our cancer, you know, when you look at those prognosis rates, it, it was kind of like, wait, huh, what, what that's with treatment? What are you what are you talking about? Like, this is the best we've got? Like, what's going on? Um, and so I think I I went in very early, um, I think demanding attention and 
not in a rude way, but I think we have to advocate for ourselves uh, when especially cancer patients, because oncologists are overworked. Um, they have too many patients as it is. And to make yourself a priority, you kind of have to push for it. And so even when I was getting treated at UCLA, I was cold emailing oncologists at MD Anderson and uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering and Dana Farmer. <laughs> and um, I was like on PubMed, like scouring for research about neuroendocrine cancer, uh, like emailing professors at UCSD being like, you did a clinical trial, what's going on with neuroendocrine, like finding anything I could. And then I would take those papers and I would like bring them to my oncologist. And I'm sure no doctor wants a non-medical person to hand them studies because they're like, please, you didn't go to medical school, get out of here. Uh, but I think because I just continued to do that, my oncologist, who I love, like love, love, love my oncologist at UCLA, she, I think, started out being like, who are you and why are you sending me research papers? And then she sort of started to like come around. And then she knew that every appointment I was going to come in with a million questions of like, can I sit in a sauna? Can I do red light therapy? Can I do mistletoe? Can I do IVC? Can I get on cimetidine? Can I do metformin? Can I do berberine? Like I was just like rapid firing. And so then she was like taking all of that stuff and saying, okay, let me get back to you. And she actually just started like getting back to me and being like, okay, I don't want you to be on metformin. I'm fine with you doing IV vitamin C. I don't want you doing this, but I'm fine with you doing this. And then we kind of created this relationship that was like, you want to do low dose naltrexone? Okay, that's fine. Oh, you're taking cimetidine? That's not good. It's going to lower, for some people, it lowers their white blood count. So we kind of started getting this relationship like that. And I kind of went in there and was like, I'm very interested in doing a circulating tumor cell test. Um, you know, the Greek test is like really popular. Uh, I wanted to be able to catch recurrence before it happened. And her first instinct was like, the reason we don't give these tests is because even if we find micro disease, are we going to treat it? Like, there's nothing we're like, do we put you on chemo based on like a blood test? Like, what do we do? And so she was like, let me do some research and, and find out. So she went out and scoured, you know, looking for like the best kind of test and she found this company called Signaterra. And in her opinion, they were, um, as she called it, like the gold standard of CTC. And they use it a lot for like stage four breast cancer patients. And uh, so luckily now I've been working with that company and we're able to do a Signaterra test every 90 days. And I have to tell you, like getting those tests back where, because they take an actual piece of your tumor um, and they like map it genetically. And then they're looking for that cancer, that very specific cancer DNA in your blood. So it's not looking for like a new cancer. <laughs> like if I had a new cancer floating around, it wouldn't be looking for that. Um, but it is looking for the exact cancer I had. Um, and so every time I get that test back and it says you have zero circulating tumor cells, um, that's like a weight off my shoulders. That's like, okay, great. And my oncologist was so confident in it. She's been putting seven months in between my scans now. And so it's been a weight off of my shoulders to not have to get scanned every 90 days now. Did you ever find with that, even though I don't, I haven't been on the same journey as you guys, did you ever find that your doctor at first was like, no, you know, doing those types of tests would only raise your anxiety or cause you to be more worried? Because whenever I was asking for scans, it's not common to get scans done with breast cancer, they do mammograms instead. And, yeah. um, 
my aunt actually, well, she was my second cousin. I just call her my aunt, but she got breast cancer and then it went away and it came back in her spine because she was only getting mammograms. And so, and then she died two months later. So yeah. it's one of those things where I, the oncologist team I have kept telling me they didn't want to give me those things because it just raises anxiety. That's not necessary. So I didn't know if you were like, when you came to your oncologist with all of these different studies and these different tests and things, you know, were they hesitant to allow you to do that? Um, she wasn't hesitant about the circulating tumor cell test other than if we did find micro disease, what do we do? Uh, like that would be a team effort. Uh, but I understand what you're saying because I do have one oncologist who, uh, you know, every time I was like, cause I did mistletoe for six months. I was like, I want to do, she's like, I see you're doing mistletoe. Like what is, this is not FDA approved. You shouldn't be doing this. It's my recommendation that you stop this right now. Oh, you're doing IVC. I see that you're doing IVC. This is not FDA. Everything was like, this is not FDA approved. And they sort of have to say that. Um, and mm -hmm. so she was definitely one of those that made me like second guess everything. Um, and you know, I, I think I had three oncologists. So if one was saying yes, I went with it, you know, and yeah. then, and then also, frankly, when some of them, the integrative stuff was a little bit out of their realm because they just don't know about that stuff. You know, I went and found an integrative doctor and I work with that integrative doctor and I just make sure, you know, I'm communicating everything to all of them. So I'll tell my integrative doctor, this is what my oncologist said. What's your thoughts about it? And sometimes he'll be like, I think we could put you on this. I think it's fine. And so we do it. And some that's a risk, right? Like you don't know mm -hmm. if. Because sometimes oncologists are overly cautious with alternative stuff. They're they're like, it doesn't work. Don't waste your money, or it'll interfere. Blah 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 blah. Um. So it's like find another find <laughs> find another doctor. Well, I yeah, because <laughs> I asked too. I had a radiology oncologist um, talk to me about he thought I needed to microdose mushrooms. Yeah. Um. He was very into alternative medicine, and he said, "I'm yeah. not trying to tell you to fire your oncologist." but maybe you should look into alternative medicines, you know? Yes. And that's where I was like, okay, this guy's telling me this. And then he gave me a book on it and the whole thing. And so that just kind of opened up my eyes to there's other things. It doesn't just have to be this one way that this right. one oncologist says, you know, yeah, there's even oncologists argue about how to beat cancer. Like even in our own cancer, um, different women are given like different protocols. Like there's kind of a standard protocol, but I know some women who it's like, uh, they do chemo first and then they do the surgery second and then they do radiation. Some of them do chemotherapy and radiation back to back. Some of them say you have to do it concurrently. I got brachytherapy. That's not standard for everybody. Not everybody gets brachy. Jesse, did you get brachytherapy? Oh, did I get brachy? Yes. Was it not just the most traumatic oh, thing of oh. your life? Absolutely. Because that's another thing no one talks about. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have had three babies, all unmedicated, one at home. Like, and I thought I was traumatized from that, but brachytherapy is beyond. Like, yes. can you describe that? What what I is have, that? I call it a dildo stuffed with radiation that they shove inside of you. With a donut. And and that's probably too kind because you're like strapped down on this gurney thing where you can't move. You're also usually in the middle of treatment or like you just finished treatment. So you don't want anything going near that area. And um, it was like 
so painful, so traumatic, so humiliating. And it's um, like an hour long that you have. Yes. You have just this sitting there. Thick, this thick uh, round thing to, to dilate you. Mm. And then yeah. they take you and they lift you up. At least for me, they had to lift me and put me onto a table and then wheel me and make sure yes. that lined up correctly. And so they like lift you and put you on the CT table and then yeah. they lift you and put you back on the table. Yes. And then wheel you back and then lift you and put you back on. And this is all done with you're trying not to move. You're trying to squeeze your muscles because they hurt. But then like mine, they gave me a morphine shot and then told me to take this muscle relaxer. So like my muscles are trying to relax, but then that causes it to tense even more in that area. And so it was just hell. Absolutely. It was hell. hell. It It was was horrible. And I was like crying on the table And I think we're pretty tough people. We'd already gone through a lot of shit. (laughs) And I, it broke me. That was the thing that broke me. And I remember like, cause this was also in the middle of COVID. And it was like, I remember just like leaving the hospital cause that first day they do it. And then you got to come back the same day and like do it again on day one. And I remember like walking out and I was in the stairwell cause I wasn't taking elevators at the time. And I was like shaking and crying and just like, and I wa- got in the car and my husband, and I just broke down and like, my husband was like, are you okay? And I was like, I feel like I just got like R worded. Like I, you know, it was horrible. And, and that's another thing I think they don't ever, yeah. nobody warns you, nobody warns you about how traumatic mm. that's going to be. Again, that's where they, sh- therapy should be a standard appointment as well with this. Yes. All of yes. It. I have so much PTSD. <laughs> so much. Yeah. We're almost out of time, but I quickly, can you like in 30 seconds or less, kind of tell us what I'm really curious. You kept saying mistletoe. I'm really curious. About, oh, yeah. Like yes. kissing under this plant. Like what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. So mistletoe is like the third most prescribed cancer treatment in Germany. Um, that's where they make it. There's an organization called believebig.org that has all the information you need. They're running clinical trials at Johns Hopkins. There's real research and real data behind mistletoe being able to stimulate your immune system, kill cancer cells, make treatment more palatable, um, and can help prevent recurrence. I probably said that a little hyperbolically. It's definitely not a cancer cure. It's not used as a monotherapy. Um, it will by no means just like cure your stage four cancer, but when it's used in conjunction with other therapies like chemotherapy, radiation standard of treatment, or uh, like if you just finished treatment and you want to prevent recurrence, I would highly recommend going on mistletoe. You can get it as an intramuscular injection. Uh, You have to inject yourself like three times a week. um, And you kind of like titrate up in terms of grams of mistletoe, or you can go in for IVs. IVs are very expensive, very difficult to find. The injections, you can, it's literally order by mail. So if you can get the prescription, you can order it in the mail. It comes straight to your house and you can do it yourself. It's not that expensive. It's maybe like one to $200 a month. And uh, yeah, I don't know, like I did it for six months and then I got tired of injecting myself. <laughs> so I, I don't know if it helped. I was doing a million other things, but um, it doesn't hurt. And um, for a lot of people, some people really believe big.org is a big advocate and they're running those clinical trials at Johns Hopkins. Awesome. Taryn, thank you so much for taking this time to share with us and with others your beautiful journey. You're a beautiful person inside and out. Thank Thank you. Well, I'm so glad you guys are doing this podcast. You're going to have to teach me how to podcast because I'm like dying to do a podcast as well. And you should just, you can come back on. Come back on. Please, please come join us again. 
I would love to. I love talking about this stuff and you guys are awesome. I listened to a couple of your episodes and um, I think this is amazing. Like you're talking about real things in a real way and that's what cancer patients need, you know, and we don't have it. Like no one's doing it. Right. That's what we <laughs> no, are. And I will say, and the sex topic is so important because I think if we can alleviate some of the really important topics that we don't discuss on a regular basis, it will help take added stress off of us as women to be able to focus on our health and what's really important. Because I think talking about those topics that aren't discussed much, it adds another level of stress that we don't really need to internalize. And if we have a healthy relationship with our spouse, um, you know, or our parents or whoever else, whatever type of relationship you're in, that's adding stress, if we can, we can find ways of coping through those it will allow you to focus on the cancer diagnosis and fighting that battle without having all of that other stress. That was yes. kind of where I was going with that. Well so. said. Well said. And because you don't want anyone suffering in silence. You know, I think I'm in a cancer support group like locally and and I think a lot of women want to talk about sex and they just they just don't know how to broach it and they especially don't want to broach it with their doctors and their doctors often schluff it off as if it's no big deal and it would be great to have spaces where we could all share tips and tricks of how mm-hmm. we're getting through it absolutely oh i love it we need to have another podcast and we'll make sure it's very like you know branded like this is what we're talking about so don't come in yeah like spirituality like <laughs> Well, well do I think NSFW. maybe we could do <laughs> yeah. discuss. Oh, it really does. Let's, let's get our husbands on and they can talk about what it's like being in a marriage with somebody that's going through it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. I think that would be great. My husband probably has a lot to say. <laughs> probably has a lot to say. <laughs> she cries a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, ladies, you're absolutely amazing. Thank you, Taryn, for taking this time. And please, yes, we would love to have you again anytime. Enjoy Maui. So good. Yes. And again, (laughs) thank you for sharing your light with us. And oh, thank you guys for having me on. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be in my N95 mask and with my neutropenic body trying not to (laughs) catch any colds. (laughs) Be safe and travel well. Yes. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care. Sending you you both love. Thank you for joining us. Our goal is to help uplift others. When you rate and review this podcast, it makes it easier for others searching to find us. Please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review and share with someone you think could benefit from these bald babes. Have the best day ever.